Well, today we are continuing our message series uh, called Christmas Blessings. We're going through the Christmas uh, accounts in the Gospel of Luke, and I've entitled today's message, Prepare the Way for the Lord. So as we've been going through this, beginning in the first part of uh, Luke, Luke chapter 1, we've seen how God has unfolded his plan to bring Jesus into the world. It is a very detailed plan. We're seeing God speaking to people by angels, God changing circumstances, God causing Mary and Joseph to, we'll see next Sunday, to come to Bethlehem via government taxes. And so he works everything together for his plan. And each step in God's plan involves people that he selects to play their role in his plan. Often these people seem like unlikely candidates, but God chose them anyway. God makes no mistakes, and he supernaturally empowers the people that he chooses to carry out his plan with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this Christmas story in these first chapters of the book of Acts, or book of Luke, actually, shows how God prepared the way for Jesus to come into the world. Jesus, the very Son of God, took on human flesh, something that, you know, my scientific mind cannot figure out. I believe what the Bible says. And that changed history forever. And God is still in the business of changing history even in our day, in fact, of changing eternity. And God desires to use us as his children to change lives. God desires to use us to change the eternal trajectory of people's lives in our world today. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, you can follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. has the outlines there. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, this was written at a time in the first century when many people were mocking Christians. They were mocking Christians because Jesus had ascended into heaven and said he was going to come again, and decades had passed, and he still had not returned. And so they say, where is he? You know, you've said he's coming back. When is he coming back? We don't see it yet. Well, now we are 2,000 years later, and Jesus has still not returned. And in times, we also are mocked for that. But this verse explains why Jesus has not yet returned. It's not that he's slow. It's not that he's procrastinating. It is because it's part of his plan. He's patient. Why is he patient? He doesn't want anybody to perish. God does not desire for any person to perish, which means to spend eternity in hell without him. That is not God's will. He doesn't want it to happen. But it does happen when people do not believe in Jesus, when they do not repent of their sin. He desires for everyone to reach repentance. 
And so the reason that Jesus has not returned, because every day that passes, people are being saved in this world. Every day that passes, people are being swept into the kingdom of God and becoming children of God. Heaven is becoming more and more populated or will be populated. We're not in heaven yet. I don't think so, uh, as I look around. But more and more people are going to be part of God's family in eternity for every day, for every month, for every year that passes. And I believe in God's sovereign plan that one day the last person will be saved and his family will be complete. And at that moment, Jesus will return. We don't know when that's going to be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 50 years from now. It could be 100 years from now. But at the right time, Jesus will return. And so he's giving people time now to repent. He's giving us time to reach more people for Jesus. Now, unfortunately, in our world today, people's understanding of eternity is, is not very biblical. In most people's minds, the default destination for eternity is heaven. Everybody's going to heaven. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. When anybody dies, no matter how horrifically they've lived their lives, what do we read on Facebook or on the Internet? R.I.P., right? Rest in peace. They've all gone to heaven no matter how they lived their lives. Whether they knew Jesus or not, no matter what religion they believed in, oh, they must be in heaven. The Bible teaches something quite different. The Bible teaches that the default destination for every human being is not heaven. It's the opposite place. It's hell because we all are born sinners. And the only way to change our default destination is to believe in Jesus, to repent and put our faith and trust in him. And so God calls us. As believers, speaking to believers today, God calls us to prepare the way for other people to be born again and saved, to make use of God's patience. Not to complain that Jesus hasn't come back yet, but to use the time that God has given to us to reach the lost for him. And so God calls each of us outside of our comfort zone to begin to think about people's eternal destiny. And how we can be used by God to bring people into the kingdom by telling others about Jesus. Romans 10 verse 13 talks about this. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? <clears throat> and how can they believe in him <clears throat> if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? God doesn't normally, he can, he doesn't normally, it's a rare occurrence that he sends an angel to tell somebody about Jesus. We have an example in the Bible of Saul being knocked off his horse by a light and Jesus himself appearing to him. It doesn't happen very often. Could it happen again? I suppose it could. But the way that God chooses to tell people about Jesus is through other believers. 
And he says, how can people be saved unless someone tells them? Unless we as believers tell them. It's not difficult. If we're believers today, that means what? That we believed. That we know enough about Jesus. We know enough about God's word. We have believed and become a follower of Jesus, become a Christian. And so we know enough. If we know enough to have become believers ourselves, we know enough to tell somebody else how to do it. Because we've already gone there. Or we've already become a Christian. So today we're going to learn more about God's plan in the story of Christmas for John the Baptist. This isn't always taught in the Christmas season, but it's right there. So I felt it's important to go through it. And God's plan for John's life was to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. And so we can learn much from John's life about how we can prepare the way for Jesus in other people's lives today as well. Sometimes people think that things that they have done may have disqualified them from preparing the way for the Lord, but God always gives second chances. It's never too late to do what God has called you to do. Our story begins in verse 57 of chapter 1. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. If you've been listening to the messages we've gone through them, you'll know the story. Let me just explain it briefly, refresh your memory. Zachariah and Elizabeth were a God-fearing Jewish couple who had not had any children. And they'd been praying for years to have a child. And Elizabeth was now far past her years of bearing children. Zechariah was a priest. And when he was serving in the temple, an angel came and told him that their, your prayers, your prayers, Zechariah, and your wife's prayers, Elizabeth, will be answered. You are going to she is going to bear a son in her old age. And Zechariah expressed some doubts to this angel. How can I believe this? I mean, she's really old. Really old. And so the angel Gabriel did not like Zechariah's attitude. Now, that's how I read it. And he said, well, since you're speaking this unbelief, I'm going to stop you from speaking. Until the child is born. Now the angel's prophecy had come to pass. And the child was born to Elizabeth. And everyone around this couple rejoiced. Their friends, their relatives, their neighbors. Rejoiced that this couple finally had their prayers answered. And they had a son to raise. Verse 59. And on the eighth day they, that's Zechariah and Elizabeth, came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. So according to the Jewish uh, laws, this couple was to bring their newborn son on the seventh day to the temple to be circumcised. And at that time, they would publicly announce the name of the child. 
Normally in those days, the child was, well, if it was a, a boy, obviously, was named after the father. And so he would have been called Zachariah or little Zach or something. I don't know what they called him back then, but uh, Zach Jr. That was the way things were normally done. Now, Zachariah couldn't speak. That's why Elizabeth spoke up first and said, uh, no, he shall be called John. Well, why did Elizabeth say that? Well, that was because the angel had told Zachariah what they were to name the child. And Zachariah uh, obviously had uh, told, we'll talk about how he communicated, it wasn't by speaking, he told his wife. Well, the neighbors continued to argue with Elizabeth. They said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he, that's Zechariah, asked for a writing tablet. That's how he communicated and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. So these relatives were putting a lot of peer pressure on Zechariah and Elizabeth to name him according to the way names were done in those days. They tried to finally to communicate with Zechariah, and he wrote on the tablet, uh, he agreed with his wife. In fact, he said, not that his name will be John, his name is John. I mean, his name was John from before he was born. Uh, they knew that was his name, and he would be called John as well. They all wondered. They all wondered at what happened. And so another miracle happened after Zechariah wrote these words on his writing tablet. Verse 64, and immediately after he wrote those words, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. So as Zechariah obeyed God's word to name their son what the angel had told them to, Despite all the peer pressure of friends, relatives, neighbors saying, don't do that. That's, nobody does that. I mean, so it took a step of faith to name him something different. But as soon as Zechariah did that, God gave him the ability to speak again. A miracle happened and suddenly his tongue was loosed. And the very first thing that Zechariah spoke was he began to bless God. He began to thank God. God has done something in his heart over those Nine plus months that the baby was uh, being formed until it came to delivery. It's quite a story, and the story spread. People began to talk about it. It was unusual. The story of Zachariah seeing an angel, and now this elderly Jewish woman bearing a child in well past childbearing years. It was the talk of the town. But I want us to think about this, that... God gave Zechariah a second chance. I mean, you just think about it. Zechariah really had blown it with the angel. I mean, here he is, and an angel appears. And it, it's God blesses him by being able to see an angel. Not many people are able to see an angel. Not many people do an angel visit. And this was not an ordinary angel. We know from Scripture this was Gabriel. Uh, this is one of the highest, if not the highest ranking angel in heaven. And of course, when the angel, after Zechariah doubted, the angel said, 
Like, I am Gabriel. (laughs) Don't you know who I am? An angel appears to him, and he doubts the words of the angel. I mean, come on, Zechariah. Angel was telling him good news, that their prayers that they prayed for probably decades would be answered. They were going to have a son that they'd been longing for all their lives, and yet despite that, Zechariah questioned, Zechariah doubted that what the angel told him was going to come to pass. But God gave Zechariah a second chance. I believe that over the years that, well, no, not years, but over the months that passed, Zechariah began to repent of his unbelief, and Zechariah began to believe that this baby was really coming. And he was going to follow the angel's direction and name him John, just as the angel had said. So not only did God keep the promise that the son would be born despite Zechariah's initial unbelief, he gave Zechariah back his speech at the birth of the son. Now thinking of ourselves, each of us has done things to displease God in our lives. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but right, we've all done things. I know the Bible says it. Uh, I don't have to know your life to know that's true. We've all done things to displease God in our lives. Some things we might think are small. Other things we might think are pretty big. Most of the things that we have failed at come from doubting God. Think about that for a minute. Many of the things that we have failed at come because we have doubted God come because we have not believed God's word to be true. All sin comes because we have believed a lie rather than the truth. Most sin in our lives comes from us trying to get something for ourselves in our own way rather than trusting God to give us good gifts. We think something is going to be better than what God has for us. How foolish, but that's what all sin is. It's just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't eat that apple. Well, I think that's going to be a good apple to eat. It's the essence of all sin. But the good news from Zachariah's example and many others we have in the scriptures is that God gives the opportunity for second chances. God gives us a chance as long as we're alive and breathing to repent, to ask for his forgiveness, and carry on with his plan for our lives. It's such a sad situation when people in our world today, more than ever, are, think there's no hope. Without Christ, there is no hope. And they end their lives rather than repenting and asking for God to change them. But God gives second chances to us as well. And so don't disqualify yourself from being used by God in the future just because you failed Him in the past. God will be there to strengthen and help you carry out his plan for your life. Not only does God give second chances, but God also keeps his promises. Verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. 
As we read through this account, as we, we're still in chapter 1 of Luke, it's quite a long chapter. We're seeing lots of different people filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen Mary filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. Even though he doubted, even though he failed God, God now fills him with the Holy Spirit. And just as those two women, Elizabeth and Mary, prophesied, now Zechariah begins to prophesy about what God is doing. Now, what is a prophecy? A prophecy is not something that you figure out in your mind. It's something that God, through his spirit, gives you to speak. And you speak God's words, and that's what Zechariah was doing here. And he begins by blessing God for visiting his people. The visitation of God would bring redemption. It would bring salvation to the nation of Israel. Now, the situation in Israel at this time was the last prophet Malachi had stopped prophesying. He died 400 years before. God had not spoken in a prophecy for 400 years. That's a long time. That's longer than the United States has been around. God had been silent until God began to speak now. And some of these people, even before the birth of Christ. And John the Baptist, we're going to talk about that in a minute, would be the last prophet of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Zechariah goes on in verse 70. He says, as he spoke by the mouth of the, his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So God's prophets down through history, beginning in Genesis all the way through Malachi, had spoken about a coming Messiah. Somebody who would come, God himself would come and change everything. They spoke of this Messiah that would save people from their enemies. And now Elizabeth and Zechariah had a son who was privileged to do what? He was not the Messiah, but he was going to prepare the way for the Lord. He was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He goes on to say, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. Zechariah is referring to God's promises that have been made, well, beginning actually in the book of Genesis, but all the way back to Abraham where God gave Abraham the vision of stars in the sky, spiritual descendants that would come through his faith. Promises of God. And so the essence of God's promises is prophesied here in these next verses. He says in verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him, that's God, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So God's promises are all wrapped up in being delivered from our enemies. We have enemies today. What are our enemies? What are the enemies of every person on this earth? The enemies of God's people are sin. Enemies of God's people are the devil, Satan. The enemies of God's people are sickness, 
and death. And Jesus came to deliver us from all of our enemies to set us free. Why? So that we can serve God. And no longer serve our enemies. To serve God. Without fear. Without fear of our enemies. You see, as a believer, and we are serving, called to serve God, we are not to be in fear of anything except God, but that's a different kind of fear. We fear God alone. And so, the Messiah is coming to deliver us from our enemies so that we can serve God the way that He has created us to serve Him. To no longer walk in sin, but to serve Him in righteousness all of our lives and throughout eternity. And so this beautiful and profound prophecy of Zechariah lays out God's plan for the coming Messiah. What He came to do. It also reminds us that God always keeps His promises. Now there are thousands of promises in God's Word, the Bible. I mean, if you've noticed, the Bible is, it's a thick book, right? It's not a little pamphlet. It's a thick book. There's a lot in there. And these promises are designed to bless our lives. They're designed to draw us closer to the Lord. But it doesn't happen automatically. In order to reap the blessings of God's promises, there really are several conditions. First of all, to be blessed by a promise, you need to know the promise. You must have read the promise. You have to understand the promise. Secondly, you need to believe. You need to have faith that God really will keep his promise. And finally, I would say most of the promises are conditional promises. What do you have to do to be saved? Is that automatic for everybody? No. There's a condition. You have to believe. You have to repent and believe in order to be blessed by this promise. And so no matter what you're going through in life today, God has a promise to help you to be an overcomer in your situation, to defeat the enemy, to carry out God's purpose for your life. You might wonder, well, Pastor Dan, you already said the Bible's a big book. (laughs) You know, I'm in trouble right now. How can I find a promise that God has for me? That's a good question. But God has a wonderful way of showing you the right promise at the right time if you're reading his word on a regular basis. If you're reading God's word on a regular basis, I would submit to you, the Bible teaches us to read it daily. Things will pop out to you as you read. You don't have to necessarily search for the promises. They'll just, oh wow, that's where I'm at today. God, you're speaking to me in this story from the Old Testament or in this verse from the New Testament or wherever you're at in your Bible reading. God will say, this is for you. Here's a promise for you today. If you wait until you have a problem to search for your promise, it, it might be more difficult. But don't give up. You can search. And God will help you in that. Many times, the message on Sunday morning, oftentimes people will come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Dan, that really spoke to me. And I said, did I say that? I said, yeah, I was in there somewhere or something spoke to them. It wasn't really my main point, but God spoke to them through his word. 
something that was said. And they took that for God's promise for their lives. Or it might be you're in a small group Bible study and you're studying the Bible with other people and there's something else. God can speak to you through that or through another person. Just remember that God has a promise for every problem that you may face. And that promise, when you believe it and pray that promise back to God, God will help you. God will deliver you from your enemies and help you keep on track with his plan for your life. God always keeps his promises. Now, each and every believer is called by God for a mission in this life, and God always prepares those that he calls. Zechariah continues to prophesy in verse 76, but he changes the tone of the prophecy now in verse 76. He's been prophesying about the Messiah coming and all the things that are going to happen. And now, I believe he's standing over John's crib. He's speaking to his new child. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So this, these verses here, these two verses summarize God's plan and summarize God's mission for this boy, for John, that we now know as John, John the Baptist. Not that he was part of the Baptist denomination, but because he baptized people. And uh, we, we'll talk about that another time. But John would be a prophet, we said, a transitional prophet between the Old Covenant of the Old Testament and the New Covenant that Jesus uh, was bringing in the New Testament. John would be, in essence, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He would begin his ministry before Jesus, calling people to repentance and pointing the way to Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. John's main message would be to call people to repentance, and he practiced a baptism of repentance, different from Christian baptism, but somewhat similar in some ways, so that people would open their hearts to receive Jesus and his salvation. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah again speaks of the mercy of God the second time he mentions God's mercy. God had mercy on them to grant them this child. God was going to bring mercy into the world for everyone who would take advantage of it. The light of Jesus would shine into the darkness. The world was dark back then. The world is dark today. But the light of Jesus penetrates the darkness. The darkness is filled with this shadow of death that hangs over every person until they find Jesus. The shadow of death is talking about eternal death that hangs over every person that has not yet been saved. John would come to point the people to the light of Christ that had entered the world that would deliver them from this shadow of death and give them eternal life. 
people who are in rebellion against God would now have a relationship with God and thus have peace with God. Zechariah spoke all these things in faith. Talk about it in a minute, but I don't believe that Zechariah saw his son's ministry. He certainly didn't see Jesus' ministry either, but he spoke it in faith. Verse 80, and the child, that's little John, grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We know that John was filled with the spirit in his mother's womb. And he grew strong in the spirit of God in the years that passed by as he grew. Zechariah and Elizabeth were advanced in years. And what does that mean? They probably passed away fairly early in John's life. We don't know exactly when. The Bible doesn't tell us. But certainly by the time he was a young adult, they were no longer with him. It seems that John made his home in the wilderness, apart from other people, where he'd had time to meet with God, time to pray, time to focus on God's call in his life. John followed the pattern of many other prophets. Jesus himself sought God in the wilderness, as well as other prophets. We know that Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30. And John was almost the same age as Jesus, just born a, a little bit prior. And so John began his ministry shortly before Jesus had a similar age. 30, 30-ish. God had prepared John for this difficult task of preparing the way for the Lord. And John fulfilled his mission. He also lost his life as a martyr uh, as well. But that was good part of God's plan. As he finished his task, Jesus would carry on his ministry and complete the mission of bringing salvation to the world. So God calls each one of us to serve him in this life, just as he called John. God called John to prepare the way for Jesus. And God calls each one of us to prepare the way for the Lord in the people around us. For those who are parents, you're to prepare your children to receive and grow in the Lord. And that mission does not end when your children leave home. It continues throughout life extends to your grandchildren. Maybe for a few fortunate ones to great-grandchildren. God has placed each one of us in a unique place. A unique place of influence with relatives, friends, neighbors, workmates. And God has called us to prepare the way for Jesus in each of their lives. How do we do that? Well, we pray. We pray and we follow the Spirit's leading. Oftentimes we may feel inadequate for the task. We wonder, how can we convince somebody else? It seems like more and more people are not interested in God, not interested in God's family, the church. How, how can we convince somebody? Well, our task is not to convince people. Our task is simply to be a witness. 
to share the story of what God has done in our lives, to share our understanding of who Jesus is, and trust the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to people's lives. As we do our part, the Holy Spirit will do his part and change people's lives. God has prepared you to reach your world for him. He's a God of second chances. I've tried that before. He's a God of second chances. He wants our faith to grow, not remain stagnant. He wants us to believe that the light of Christ in you can push back the darkness in other people's lives. He wants you to believe that you can make a difference in your world for Christ. He's a God of wonderful promises that he always keeps. And as we live in those promises, as we believe those promises, as we ask God to fulfill those promises in our lives, he will do wonderful things in and through us. And in all of this, God's given us a promise that I love. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Sometimes we may feel like we're in it all alone. Well, maybe you don't have a lot of people around you supporting you, but he's with you. And if Jesus is with you, then you can go through anything. So to become a believer, to become a follower of Jesus, most of us here are, not all of us, but we need to understand this so that we can share with others as well. Everyone's default destination is not heaven. And that's something people need to understand. Because if you don't understand that, there's no need to repent, is there? If everybody's going to heaven, this doesn't make any sense. We need to repent of our sin. And most people will acknowledge that they have sinned. But they don't think it's a very big sin. But all sin separates us from God. We need to repent of that. Secondly, we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross. That our sins might be forgiven. That's why he came. To fulfill that mission. We believe in him and we submit ourselves. To him as our Lord and Savior. You see getting saved is not simply getting a ticket to heaven. Uh, getting saved means you submit your whole life. To do what Jesus tells you to do. And if that's not part of your decision to get saved. Then you're not really saved. It's not simply a ticket to heaven and you live whatever way you want to live. You have to live God's way. You have to follow him as your Lord. So I'm going to pray right now. I'd like to ask all of us to bow our heads. If you never prayed this prayer before, you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus Christ this morning. I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this. Father, today... I repent of my sin. I know I've done wrong things in my life. I repent. I turn away from those things. I believe that you died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven and I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you rose from the dead. You're alive today and I invite you to come into my life. I submit my life to you as my Lord. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll follow your plan for my life, not my own plan any longer. And Father, we thank you that you're a God that gives second chances. 
thank you that no matter how we've messed up in the past, that you are a God who forgives when we repent. And you have a way forward for us. As long as we're breathing, nothing is hopeless in this life. You always have a next step. We pray that you would show us the next step in our lives. We thank you that you're a God who always keeps his promises. We thank you for all the wonderful promises that you have made available to us in your word. Forgive us for not taking advantage of them. Forgive us for not even reading them and missing out on all the blessings that you have for us. Help us in the new year to take advantage of your promises. And God, we thank you for your calling on each of our lives. We thank you for the mission that you have for us. We thank you that you're never going to leave us or forsake us as we seek you to carry out that mission. We thank you that you prepare us for the things you're calling us to do. You never call us to do something that we cannot do with your help and your strength. And we thank you for that special mission that you've given to each person that's in the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.